0: awesome we are live mission brief double zero four lamar guys marcos chaps good to see you all welcome back cheers to everybody um Happy happy new year's to you guys yeah awesome man i was uh we took a a family getaway this past new year's to yellowstone and i think we all came back with frostbite (laughs) we live in south florida so it is stinking cold in yellowstone in the winter time of course right um come back we've got shirts and t-shirts on so my kids five and seven i got a boy and a girl they had no idea how cold it was actually going to be in other parts of the country and and we forget you know you get so use and comfortable with Florida weather, 75 degrees, like six, seven months out of the year that you forget it's cold in other places in the country. And so we were, yeah, negative 12, that's cold. It was freezing. Lamar, how you doing, man? Good to see you.
1: Oh, it's great to see you all as well. So super stoked about this. I looking forward to the new year and, uh, and some of these new faces you'll see on some of these, uh, these panels. So very exciting stuff.
0: Yeah, awesome. Marcos, good to see you, brother. Good to see you, Jeremy. You got your Floridian shirt on, I can see, sitting out on the back it porch.
2: Is. Yeah, it's freezing out here, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like probably like yeah. 62. That's cold for a... Pretty much, for, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Much. The chaps, how you doing?
3: Good, hey, Jeremy. Happy New Year.
0: Happy New Year. How's your lovely, lovely bride?
3: She's doing wonderful. She wishes she could have been here this morning uh, to join the the brief for the women, but uh, she's working, but we really could have done it because it's three hours difference up here in Washington state. She just had to get up a little earlier.
0: Yeah. Yep. Pastor Daniel, good to see you. Hey, Jeremy. I'm so excited for our, our, our conversation we're about to have and hear your story and how God's awesome. moved in your life, man! Inc- absolutely incredible. I think I'm people
4: are—they're
0: about to have their socks blown off. This is this is one in a, mil- a million. So thanks for coming.
4: Thank you for for allowing me to be here.
0: Yeah, awesome. Um, so just a reminder: the chat box is going to be open the entire section. Lamar, why don't you fill the guys in if you could, please.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Men, you know, the chat box will be open the whole time. You can use this place to share encouragement. You can ask for prayers. Um, You can share any additional insights uh, you have during this mission brief or for some of the past mission briefs. Uh, If there's something that you want to revisit in that and just kind of talk with some of the other brothers about it or remind people about it, please don't hesitate. Uh, We ask you to keep it safe for all stations. So, uh, also, if you have questions that you want to see answered, Clearly, we can't get to all the questions, um, but we could definitely, you know, get get some of the ones that are, you know, looking at some of the wave tops there as uh, Pastor Dan goes through his, I guess, his incredible story. So um, we'll ask those during the second part of the brief. If we don't get to your question, don't worry. There's a survey that comes out immediately after the webinar. You can ask your question there, and then one of us are going to try and get back to you as soon as possible with an answer. Um, Yeah, thanks, Tom. Yeah.
0: Yeah, keep going. Sorry.
1: No, I still think there's a couple other uh, hangers out there from the last one, uh, but we have got through the, the vast majority of all those questions.
0: Yeah, and I want to remind you, we're going to be gathering every second Friday of the month at 1 p.m., and my wife, Tiana, is also hosting every second Friday of the month. It's called The Sanctuary for Your Wives, and they meet at 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time they had their first gathering this morning. So if your wives missed it, be sure you have them check out the recording. I think it's on our Facebook page and invite them to come join us next month or join them next month. Um, you know, it's, it's absolutely important that as their husbands, we remember, we may have been the source of their pain, but we also have the opportunity to be the greatest source of their healing, uh, guiding them to resources that can help them is really a key step. Uh, so Scott, you know, as a counselor, you work quite a bit with men and women who've been through trauma. Uh, why don't you weigh in?
3: Sure. So, I mean, it's, I, I think it's more like complex trauma the, or complex PTSD, which is a, a, a new expression of it. Um, you know, death by a thousand cuts. It's, it's a duration over time. You know, the, the wounds that are there are, are deeper than we can even imagine. And, and guys just can't say, hey, get over it. Um, the women need to deal with it just as we do three to five years and, and their, their trauma starts a little later than ours. You know, God forgives us. We think we're good to go. Uh, it's not the same for the wives, the PTSD, the depression, it's like 70 and 80% of betrayal trauma. It's, it's real. And and we've wounded them deeply.
0: Marcos, you're shaking your head.
3: (laughs) Yeah, no, he's absolutely right. I mean,
2: um, I mean, those what wa- that have watched the uh, Conqueror series um, would know that for those who are in relationship and maybe have, unfortunately, you know, betrayed their wives um, and repeatedly do so, they develop this emotional profile of a, of a rape victim, you know, uh, emotionally. And it can definitely take time to heal, uh, to regain that trust back doesn't matter maybe how long you may have been together and depending on the extent of what may have happened um you know it, it will take time for them to find that healing to find that trust again and and so yeah i absolutely agree
0: yeah all right well pastor daniel he's a gang leader turned millionaire turned pastor that is i don't think i've ever said that before uh, he reached out to us in October of last year, and he had, a, he had a testimony. He sent this thing to us in video format, and our, our team gets together every morning, uh, right when we come in. We have a Bible study together, and we watch this video, and I couldn't believe it because and I, I, I want to get to the end of it, and then we'll rewind and get to the beginning of this story. Daniel, Pastor Daniel, you grew up with a stutter. And miracu- miraculously, it just disappeared.
4: Well, it didn't just disappear. It came after I was following, uh, the, uh, the guidance of what the next, uh, training is the war path. And as I wrote what they, what you guys call the anger letters, mm-hmm. I, I call forgiveness letters. Uh, wow. and in the process of that, I realized that what was holding me back this whole time was the anger I had against people that had abused me, my family, and these letters, it freed me up. And uh, I mean, this was, it, it, it was hard to get me to stop talking beforehand, right? But now I was just walking around the store going, Hi, can you, can I read this? Hi, do you know that this <laughs> says this? And folks were like, Okay. And my daughter's like, Dad, stop being weird. Right. But I was just so excited that I could read a whole bottle of of ingredients in like in one breath and not break it up. And I thought that that was just great. Was
0: this something that you struggled with every day or was it did it come every day? No, it was every
4: day. It it was every day thing. And it just disappeared. Right. And I felt it as I was going through the letters. Right. Um. I you remember mean, the you first letter. You felt it like leaving or you knew well, I felt a difference. Well, you know, what I felt was, you know what, this is what it is. It was peace. Yeah, it was peace. That's the bottom line. The more okay. I let go, yeah. the more peace I got. And the more and, and it went from reading one letter and going like uh, John Doe, you did this. And, and I would stutter. And I hate the fact that, and I can't even stutter now to, like, practice it, right? But, you know, you did this, and it was hard. But by the fifth or sixth letter, I was reading so fluently. And I was, you know, and I would, the Lord, you know, Holy Spirit told me that as I forgave them to breathe out, right? So I would say, for example, if it was you, uh, Jeremy, I release you from blah, 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 right? And... I no longer hold this against you, right? And I started thinking, how odd. It's It's been like an hour and I haven't stuttered. And then I went and I grabbed a Bible and I started reading, expecting, of course, to stutter along the way. And I was reading like a whole book. And, you know, my daughter knocked on the door and said, Dad, are you okay? And I said, yeah, why? She says, because you're yelling. I said, I am? She says, well, you're reading really loudly. Like, and I was like, "For God so loved the world," he you know. And she's like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, I know I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just, you know, like, what do you do? Like, I was unsure, you know. And so I was calling people to see if they would catch it. So I was like, "Hi, uh, Joe. How you doing? Fine. I'm working. Oh, uh, how was the weekend?" Just talk to me. I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, fine." But uh, just to see, you notice that I'm not stuttering right now. Come on, Joe. <laughs> i just see, right? I was trying to see if maybe they would pick up on it. But Pastor, uh, th- w- we, at what age did you start the stutter? So now, so now here's the thing: my dad has passed, and I do, and my mother, my biological mom, to be clear, my bio mom left me when I was four, so I really don't have a relationship with her. She's ninety. Uh, six now I think, and mm-hmm. I and I really don't. She, you know, she doesn't speak to me. That's another story. But um, I believe it started when she left, and the reason why I say that is because I wrote her. She was the third letter I wrote, and it was difficult. Like I started with the folks that I thought I had the biggest beef with, and so that was fine. But on writing her letter, it's kind of like a cork came out of a bottle, and stuff just poured out. And so I don't want to say that that was the magic one, because I you know, I wasn't going into it to stop to stutter. I went into it to not be, you know, and that just wasn't it. And, and so uh, I think around the age of four, you know, and that really affected me because in kindergarten, be, because my mom had left, I had an anger problem. And the fact that I now stuttered, it was worse, right? And I was a short, fat kid. You know, I'm six foot two now and I kickboxed for a long time. But at that point, I was short and fat with a stutter and poor. Not a good recipe to be in public school, right? And so uh, the teachers would get upset because I would hit people with chairs or, you know, or, a book. And when I was trying to explain it to them, I'm trying to say, Jeremy started, I'd say, you know, I can't even do that, but I would try to say your name and they'd go, that's it, just go in the corner and now I'm angry at oh the teacher gosh. because you yeah. didn't even let me right. finish. Right. So now, you know that. So what I found out was in these letters, in praying and in doing the whole conquer uh, groups, what I realized was that people would say things like, your mom left you? What mom would do that? And I know that in their head they were saying, Look at her, shame on her, right? However, I'm four, I'm five, I'm six. What I heard was, you know, there's what they said and there's then there's the story that I made up, right? What I made up was no mother would do this because that's what they said, no mother would do this, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning, shame on her, she's not a mom. So I'm thinking if no mother would do this, how bad a kid am I Yeah. that she did this to me?
0: Yeah, so that, that, that's where the limbic lies come from, the limbic being the part of the brain that registers emotion, and, and it's our emotional life, right? And so those right. lies get embedded into our limbic brain and form our identity and our beliefs throughout right. life, and they happen often in childhood. Those are the deepest. Um, I've got a video that you sent us that I asked you if I could play, and I, I just want to show to the extent that you had a stutter. So I'm gonna share the screen real quick and um, let you guys watch this.
4: Hey mom, this is a video um, to say thank you for getting Emily the Michael's card so that she could have stuff. Say thank you, mama. Thank you. And what are you gonna do with the card? i'm
1: gonna go to michael's and
4: look around and see what i can buy so i can build stuff with it that's my my, my baby and i want to thank you so much i love you and i thank you for always thinking of her and me and my wife are just blessed to have you to have you i'm so blessed and i thank you say thank you bye Thank you. Bye. God bless you, Mom. I love you. Bye. But I wanted to share
0: with you. Wow. It, 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 it blows my mind because, you know, this wasn't something like, you know, you, you know you're know you struggling uh, with a stutter here and there. It's like every sentence. You, you were really stuttering. And... To listen to you now, it's like you don't have even a. a well, what hint. I
4: found was, what I found was, um, there are moments, because everybody has what's called moments of this fluency. When folks say, um, um, see, that's a type of letter, right? Then there's the locking, which won't let you get a word out. Like I couldn't say things like um, Pericles. I, I couldn't say it and I, and I would avoid that word, right? Uh, we all have those moments, but I found that doing things like this, speaking on a Zoom, doing a video was horrible because I didn't know you. You know, I could speak to my son and have moments of fluency that, you know, and then now and then uh, I would have such a bad lock that I would get angry because I'm trying to explain to him the most basic things. And I would say, you know, like the soccer ball. And I'd say, well, that's, and I would lock and I could feel my head just getting red and hot. My ears would get hot and I could feel my blood just boil. And I'm like, I hate this. And I'm like, when will I be set free? Like, and I, you know, I said the lies to myself. This is the, uh, the thorn in my side. This is, uh. You know, my cross that I carry, you know, it's my burden to bear. You know, you fill in the blanks, right? Because I'm right, right. the superhero. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that wasn't it. The truth is, listen, I tell folks all of the time, the Lord has anointed me to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable.
0: Mm. You know, and
4: that's the truth. Because I let folks know all of the time, uh, you know, I have the ability to share my story you know, who knew that when I was growing up on welfare uh, with a dad that was totally illiterate, that signed his name with an X. You know, I, you know, I uh, never finished the ninth grade. And yet I ended up being a broker. I owned nine homes at uh, one time. I was a landlord for over a decade. And, you know, of course, the same way I had that, I assumed, bad word, right? I assumed that because I was tithing, that my sinning was okay, and what I mean is, you know, my mom left me at four. So what did that teach me? What lie did I have in my head that I, I bought this out through this series, right? And I realized that the lie I told myself was, anybody that says they love me is bound to leave me. That's it. Yeah.
0: So the I'm greatest wound is, is abandonment.
4: Yeah. Right. And so, uh, then, at the age of fourteen, I had a female family member. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, you know, I was fourteen. They were twenty-six, and they seduced me. You know, later on, they admitted that they planned the whole thing, blah blah blah. And that was, and I didn't grow up with them because my mom had left me when I was four. So by the time I met them, I was fourteen. Mm. So that, you know, we met. I was, I, you know, I thought, wow. Right, and uh, then I met their daughter, which was was of course family of me. And their daughter was 26, and she seduced me, and that had an effect on my psyche because she was the first person that I slept with. Within that same year, I helped a neighbor move, who was older. She was at least in her uh, 30s, and she seduced me. So in my head, I had these lies: uh, if they love me, they're going to leave. There are no real boundaries when it comes to sex, so don't add any boundaries because that means nothing. And then, even if they're married, be careful because they probably want to sleep with you. So this is how I went into the world. Wow. And and then when my dad died, when my dad died, um, I actually turned to Christians or what I thought were, you know, I turned to the people that I thought were uh, Christians at that moment, and I didn't get help. And, you know, I don't want to mention a certain group, but some folks told me, well, if they weren't with our church, then your dad's in hell, which offended me. And someone else said, well, you know, if you're not in this church, then you're really not saved because I got saved at 15. Right. So I thought I'm not I'm I'm going to hell, too. So this is all these things. So I started to hate Christians. I actually had a pastor tell me if you're not part of this church, you're going to hell. And I said, but I accepted Christ. I thought, says no, no. And I and I asked him, can I then get saved now? He says, no. We're not ready for you to join the <laughs> church yet. So this is how I went in into the world. And then my dad, you know, my dad dies, and I'm thinking, God is against me. He must hate me. I hate God, and that's how I went into my adult years hating God.
0: Incredible. You know. I'm thinking about it. We know that finding freedom from sexual sin is a spiritual journey, but it's also very much, uh, very deeply, a, a uh, physical journey as well. Uh, and this means that we are, th- uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the accountability of others, seeking to rewire these old neural pathways in the brain um, to look more closely like the way God designed. And so leading up to this, I I was doing some research on uh, stuttering and it's um, obviously it's connection to the brain. And this was research from the Children's Hospital. I don't know what the year is on it. Um, But they discovered that the regional cerebral blood flow is reduced in the Broca's area. That's the region in the brain. in the the frontal lobe of the brain linked to speech production in persons who stutter. And so it's referencing the prefrontal cortex area of the brain, which is where you make higher reasoning executive decisions. Um, In this other study, uh, I think it's, yeah, it's out of Neuroscience Journal. Um, we designed this neuroimaging study and experimental procedure to sample neuroactivity during interpersonal communication between human participants. Um, and it says that activity in the right amygdala, the key anatomical region in the limbic system involved in emotion, was significantly correlated with stuttering occurrences in adults who stutter. So both uh pieces of research point to trauma in the limbic brain and this is the part of the brain and so what is the limbic brain it's the part of the brain that's involved in our behavioral and emotional responses like I said before emotional life is largely housed in the limbic system uh, so it's also a part of the brain where trauma is stored so what's happening during childhood is not just important for the developing brain it's also influencing gene expression. That's why Jesus said, woe to those who harm the little children. Gene expression um, is, is powerful. We've got a whole episode on that in the Conquer series. But this is fascinating because the entire process of finding freedom from addiction is rewiring the limbic system in the brain. It's where trauma takes place. And at the same time, strengthening the frontal lobe, which is your prefrontal cortex, the place in the brain where we make good decisions, uh, higher reasoning, judging right from wrong. Uh, And that part of the brain must begin to get more blood flow. And what the study showed was that area of the brain is lacking blood flow. So the whole idea of, of renewing our mind, as Paul talked about, was bringing back blood flow to parts of the brain that God designed us to use. And taking back, because the enemy took certain parts of the brain hostage, so we're taking those areas back, like our limbic brain, we're taking them back to Christ. And we are sacrificing, we're crucifying our flesh, our limbic brain, every single day. That's sanctification. That's what this whole process is. Um, So Daniel, I want to go in a little bit more to your story of how you how you've made this huge shift in your life to where you are today, and what set you up in the past.
4: Um, when you mean set me up, you mean as?
0: Well, I know you said that you were. So you were abandoned at four
4: years old. All right. So um, got it. Yeah. Got it. So over the years, um, you can imagine that you know I grew up on a very tough block, and I know folks say that, and I try to play it down. However, two of my daughters and my wife have met folks from my town and were like, you married him? Or that is that is your dad? Is he okay? I I bet he's really mean. And and they're like, really? Why? And they would explain to him how bad my block was. So they come home and go, I see you are making it up. You uh, dumbed it down. And I share that because growing up like that just had me full of anger. And I had a lot of anger. I had uh, anger that my mom had left. I had this anger that my dad couldn't read or write. You know, these are all these things. And then on top of that, we're poor. You know, So I have all this stuff. And um, what set me up to success was because we ran out of food once when I was 15. And my dad and I were eating cookies and Kool-Aid with no sugar for three days, right? And I was waiting for the first to get his welfare check so that we could um eat. And I went to, no joke, their name is Jones, Deacon and Mrs. Jones. These were the Christians, the holy, you know, these were the folks that had the Bible every day. And I went to their house because I knew that he walked around with a Gideon Bible, one of the old ones from the hotel, right? And that was his thing. He, right? And so I went there and I thought, I'm gonna ask to borrow five bucks. Now many folks may not think that five bucks is a lot of money, but back then that was a dollar ham, cheese, eggs, milk, that was a lot of money. Uh, and I thought if they don't, if they don't give it to me, I'm gonna rob them. That was my thinking. I was gonna rob them because I thought it was easy prey. I just needed some quick money. And when I went there, she answered the door and I asked um, Well, the old me, right? The the old me asked, can I borrow $5, please? And I explained to him what I just shared with you. Now, mind you, I was born on the block. So I have a picture of my dad that came home with me in the cab. And I have a picture of me with his casket in front of the same building. So it's, you know, I, I was born there. And so she knew me. And she says, what do you need it for? And I said, food. And I explained to her. And she says, one moment. And she went upstairs. Her husband comes down and invites me in. They had a bag, a, a box of food, like some Spam, a bag of rice, a little bag of rice, some uh, half thing of bread, uh, some cheese, some canned peas and corn, and $5. And I'm thinking, who do you guys want, want me to beat up? Like, what do you want me to do for this? Because this, this is thank you, right? And they said, no, it's yours. So as I'm leaving, they said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, what? They said, do you know Jesus? I said, yeah, I know that fool. Man, I play ball with him every uh, weekend. And they're like, no, no, not Jesus, the super son. We mean, do you know Jesus Christ? And I'm like, you mean like little baby Jesus in the manger? Like, who knows him, right? And they said, "Could could we speak to you real quick? I said, do I keep the box? They said, yeah, yeah, of course. I said okay. So they took me down what I now know to be the Roman road. I got cut. I started crying. I'm like, what? What is this? I'm like, do you mean this guy died for me? So as I'm as time passes, I'm starting to make rules in the gang. Okay, guys, we can't rob on Sundays. We can't <laughs> rob folks who are old. So nobody are like real old, like forty. If they're like, if they look like they're over like you know, no, we, we gotta, you know, no, like I'm trying to, they're staring at me like, are you on drugs? Bro? What, bring, it you morale- bring it some morality,
0: bringing some morality to the gang. Right,
4: right. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm trying to rationalize sin, right? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I'm trying to rationalize <laughs> sin, right? It's not bad if we do it with rules, right? Uh, And so that was my life. And so as I went on my own, um, I, I ended up moving to Florida. I became a master broker. I did both the real estate part and uh, brokerage side. I worked with 160 plus banks. I ran two firms, one in Hollywood and one in Deerfield. As I said, I owned nine homes, right? Over three years, uh, you know, my spiritual son, uh, Joseph, will beg to differ, but he wants it all in one lump sum. But over three years, I made a million dollars, which was to me more, more money than I had seen in my life. My last home that I had, I put 180 grand down and in cash, and before I gave them the money, I, don't laugh, guys, I, I took a shower, and I put it on the bed, and I rode around in it because I had never done that, right? So that was my thing. And at, at, at the height of all of this, right, I thought that I was doing well because I was giving to the church. So my girlfriend, who was still legally married, so that means I was committing adultery, That's what that was, right? Uh, She was one of my realtors. And as I was fornicating with her, because that's what that was. It's not sex. It's not love. It's fornication and adultery. As as I was doing that, uh, the Lord started to speak to my heart. And he said, I called you when your father died, and you refused to come. Will you come now? I don't want to come now. He says, I want to finish what I started. And slowly, my girlfriend at that time, she started to get offended by my Christian shirts. And she started to get offended by things that I listened to on the stations. And and the divide just started to grow. And so she left me. And that was the biggest blessing in my life. Because when I went to complain to a pastor at that time, it was 06, 07, he says to me, Daniel, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're telling me that you prayed for the Lord to do something and he moved the person that you were committing adultery with and fornicating with across the country into another time zone. Yeah, but she left me. He says, I think you're missing the point here. right? I think you're missing the point. And it's at that time that the Lord pulled me aside and he bought me, you know, slowly, this is a longer version, but the Cliff Notes are: so he pulled me aside to do full-time ministry. Huh. And I wrote my first book called Looking God, which is the word good with the last O crossed out, because too many Christians are trying to look good, but not enough are trying to look God. See, because there goes there goes the issue. When you when I realize that any given moment of my life, it is always me and the Lord against myself or me and myself against the Lord, you got to pick a side, right? You got to pick a side. And I started to make choices to be against myself, my old self, my old uh, nature, which Mm. plays back, bringing it it full circle to what you said about the uh, lymphocyte, that Romans 12 to renew the mind. Now, when you hear about renewing the mind, right? The word there used for transformation or renewing uh, uh, is metamorpho. And in Greek, it's where we get the word metamorphosis. So when he says renewing the mind, you know, uh, 12.1 talks about putting all of our faculties as a a sacrifice to the Lord, right? And that means what we do, we're a living sacrifice, Mm -hmm. right? Because in the OT, they pulled in the dead... The 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 animal was killed. But now I'm alive. I, I'm alive in Christ. And my sacrifice is that I didn't want to wake up today and answer these five calls. I did. I didn't want to spend time. My flesh didn't want to spend time with the Lord. It does. My flesh doesn't want to wake up at 6 30 to read with my daughter every day. I do. Yeah, that's, that's the that's, painful that's part. The difference.
0: Of, that's the painful part of the sanctification thing that we all go through we do we we we're now on a different road in life that we're having to do things that we don't like to do because we know that the other road was going the wrong direction um we got a guy here who's asking he said don't I don't see how any of this is going to help me or the masses with healing or battling this addiction um it seems to be about healing from stuttering does any of you guys want to take a shot at that So how does, yeah, I think what he's trying to get to is, you know, this is, it sounds like we're talking about how do we heal from stuttering, not so much an addiction, but how does, how does all all of this tie together? So
4: all of this, right. So let's take a look at my view on women, right? Because that's also an addiction, right? So we now know that I felt if, if somebody loves me, they're bound to leave me. That's, that's a lie, but I was addicted to that lie. Then I thought, okay, there are no boundaries in sex because I was abused by a female member. So I thought, okay, then there are no boundaries even if they're married, right? So that's how I went into my adult years. Now we bring a full uh, circle to how I treated women, right? Because I was, I slept wherever I could. You know, um, I have you know over three hundred partners in my old life. Uh, I, you know, I. It, it did not uh, matter, uh, you know, matter if they were married, uh, if how they looked, you know, as long as they, you know, I didn't think that they had some disease. They were fair game, and it didn't matter to me whether it was in a nightclub. Yeah, or so, so you had
0: these lies. That's the thing that, that you really got to understand. Mark's asking this question. It's a good question, Mark. Um, and it's something I just want to point out is this entire battle for freedom take places in eight inches of gray matter. It's our brain, right? And in our brain, we create these neural pathways. And we do this at a very young age. And at a young age, um, we begin to develop a template. Our brain is kind of like wet cement. And so at a young age, you have this wet cement for a brain, very impressionable. And if you experience trauma at that age, it, it imprints in the brain, and now you've got a template. It's kind of like an operating system of a computer. This operating system dictates how you react in life. It dictates how you treat others. It dictates um, your own emotional response. It dictates whether you need to uh, cope with certain things in certain ways. So if you find that you have this trauma at a very young age. I shouldn't say if you find, if you have trauma at this young age and you don't have a way to cope with it, you begin to medicate it. And so all of these other neural activities are taking place, which also sets you up for stuttering or set Pastor Daniel up for stuttering. So as he's walking through his own healing journey, this is just one of the side effects. He now no longer stutters. So it's not necessarily about how do we heal from stuttering it's about we're healing from brokenness trauma in the past and a byproduct of that is man pastor daniel doesn't stutter anymore because he got he's getting to the root of it and there was unforgiveness there that he processed and you're going through warpath right was that the was correct. it conference series? correct
4: through warpath yeah. And okay. that alone, which is the next one, that alone, I recommend, you know, it's not a sales pitch, but I recommend just because, uh, you know, in in Conquer, you learn to set yourself free. In Warpath, you learn to not just attack it and kill it at the root, but also to set other men free. And, you know, my best friend, Cliff Walken in uh, Paul St. Lucie, guys a guys charm. He's awesome, and, uh, isn't he? It, oh, he is, listen, that guy took, listen, so when uh, you see him too. next. I'm telling you. Yes. Yeah. No. The the guy's just a, and and his wife. It's ridiculous, right? So, he's always been there for me, and yep. when I I I wouldn't have joined Warpath if he wasn't the leader, and I'm glad I did because I've gotten so much from this. But to answer that, you know, question is: stuttering was a byproduct. My anger was a byproduct. My yep. disrespect for women and my belief that they were just objects. That's an addiction. That's an addiction because I could not not want to, you know, I had no female friends. I had those that I slept with and those that I was waiting to sleep with. That was it. You know, that was craziness. And that in no way, you know, as I healed from that, it took, listen, when I got to where I'm at now, it uh, took me seven years of friendship before I got married. I just got married last year, June 26. And, you know, all this time was the Lord preparing me and freeing me from my opinion of females and how I saw them. And I'm grateful. That's right. Lamar? Yeah, I I just want to jump
1: in here. I mean, different men that have struggled with sexual sin, sexual stronghold. um, And and I I use that term and I want to credit a guy named Tim. Um, He was, you know, my dear mentor. And I love it when he says that. He says, sexual sense, sexual stronghold. He said, I may have been a sex addict in the past, but I refuse to, to cave to that now. And I know some guys struggle sometimes with labels, but sexual sense, sexual stronghold, it manifests itself in many different ways. You know, some people cannot control the way that they operate on the roads. Um, some people, you know, you know, kind of a co, uh, I guess, not, not morbidity, but co-addiction, if you will. You know, it, it, it might be alcohol. It it might be narcotics. I mean, there's any number of things that can run right alongside of it. Um, And and as God starts to clean up that dirty corner of our lives, and he starts to pull that window and pull that light back from that corner, he just starts cleaning everything. And we, we step off that line of departure in obedience. And we start down that path. And as we get that healing, we start to get down to root causes. You know, that's way down the path. Yeah. Once we're convicted to go ahead and lay this down as sin and a stronghold, that's where God can get started. Yeah. So that's what yeah. I love about the story.
0: Marcos, was there a, a time in, your, in this journey for you where you, you started to put the pieces of the puzzle together? You realized, um, you know, I, I'm reacting out of this stuff that I've got in my past, this junk that I'm, I'm, I've just carried through life with me. And that's what I'm using. I'm using this this thing over here to medicate that crap. That was for yeah, you, Mark. I,
2: I, absolutely. I mean, um, bar the not only the uh, trauma experience that, that I had as a young kid from sexual molestation to verbal abuse in the household, uh, working, you know, growing up in a very strict regiment, uh, authoritarian household. Um, growing up with these insecurities of, you know, being performance-based and thinking that I'm not good enough, always trying to prove myself. You develop these beliefs based on your experiences, based on what you're told that inform your, you know, your self-worth, your identity, and, uh, and that can carry on across life and therefore inform your actions, your decisions, uh, how you view yourself, how you view others, and through also being introduced to, you know, unwanted you know, sexual behaviors or, or pornographic images at a very young age, I learned very young age how to make myself feel good whenever I felt down. And so our traumatic experiences, our emotional, mental, physical profiles that we develop over a lifetime through uh, the things that we encounter, through the things that, through people that we speak to and encounter and say things to us and inform who we, how we see ourselves, um, you know, especially apart from a relationship with God and and and, and not believing or, or reading His word or His truth and understanding who you are in Christ and, and grounding yourself in that identity, you're you're vulnerable really to uh, the attacks of the world, to the attacks of the enemy, and you let those things inform your who you are, and and you start operating at things that make you so good. And for me, that that's when I started to realize and make those connections. To them. My, my, my level of or a lack of self-confidence like that. And so because it gave me a space, a false lie to think whenever I'm acting out that I'm in control, I, 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 I you know, can influence the situation, I can find what I like, um, and, and it gives you this rush, right? Um, and, and really over time as I found myself spiraling more and more into this content, it, 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 it creates this really deep hook in you, right? And, and especially if you're not walking in accountability, you're not walking in the light and you're not exposed to truths that can liberate your, those lies, those limbic lies, those, those false beliefs in your mind, you're gonna continue to operate in that pattern. Um, and it and won't stop without accountability, without understanding truth about who you are, your purpose in life, you have a vision for your life, and, and walking in this unwavering authenticity, vulnerability with others mm. and, and breaking those lies and replacing it with God's truth.
0: That's awesome, man. Reading a comment here, uh, Scott, this guy says, I didn't realize that I was using sex to make me feel better or feel better about myself until the Conquer series. So Scott, you, you're working with a lot of guys, right? How often do you see men come to you and you present to them what's going on in the brain and why they're doing what they're doing. And they're like, wait a minute, what? You you're telling me this is this is a problem that I have in my head? It's physical.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's working smarter rather than harder. You know, it's not white knuckling or or cutting off your genitalia. I mean, it's 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 in the head. <laughs> it's it's a belief system, right? We did yeah. have a guy that, well, never mind. Um, you know, he wanted to just be free of it, you know, pluck your eye out kind of thing and. And it's not there. It's, it's understanding where the limbic lies have been inserted into the trauma. So something happens in our childhood as we're growing up. And the adversary has been data mining for a long time. You know, oh, our wow. grandfather, yeah. our great-grandfather, all the way down probably to Adam and Eve. And he knows the lies that are specific to us, that arousal template that, that will get me engaged, that, you know, the hook in the mouth that, that drags us away and we're enticed. And uh, it starts with looking at those 10 worst moments in my life to start unraveling the trauma that's there and replacing the lies with truth. Um,
0: Man, that's I everything. don't know
3: if I answered the question, yeah. but oh, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's hard.
0: it's hard. What do you do with guys? I want to see if who's got some input on this. What do you do with someone? Um, because if you've led groups, we've probably all led quite a few groups by now. Um. There's usually at least one person in your group that's gonna be like, "But I don't have any trauma. I don't have any history of abuse or abandonment. What are you talking about?
4: Oh, how do you address that, man? Jeremy, can I answer that? Yeah, please. Cause that was me. That was me. Listen, I'll be transparent, right? Listen, I, man, I'm gonna tell you up front so it doesn't stick out the back. The only reason that I was even able to, I I thought that I was in in control. What it was was that I had low testosterone, right? And I thought, man, I have this gift. I guess I'm like Paul, right? I thought I had this gift that I can, the minute the doctor fixed that, I realized I'm just like any other guy. And I thought I have no trauma. I have no this. During this, this training, I realized that that was wrong. I uh, suffered from abandonment. I wanted to control each situation. I wanted to show my worth by sleeping with women and saying, this is how I say that I'm valuable. All of these things came out that I didn't know I had. And this is what I've healed from. And then that's the outcome is this healing.
0: Yeah, and this is so important because when you get to that point, you say, okay, yeah, you know, maybe I've got some issues in my past. I've got some abandonment and infringement going on, people who are, who are doing things to me or who've left me. And so you're able to identify, but then what I've seen happen a lot is, is guys then get to a place where they say, look, man, when I'm trying to, when I'm about to go watch some porn or act out with some woman, I'm not thinking about my trauma. I'm not thinking about that. So that has no connection with it. Eh. (laughs) Then work like that. It's not that you're thinking about it. It's that you're medicating this lie, this, this identity that you've created that you ain't worth nothing. She left you, your mom left you because maybe there was something wrong with you. And so until you go back and address the lie, you can't start to heal. And so it's not about behavior modification, it's about heart transformation, it's about healing these, these, these areas of your life that you've been stuck for a long time. And that's, that's why we invite the Holy Spirit into this process, because often we're blind to why, we, why we're in this place to begin with. Like, you no, know, why God? Why me? Why am I stuck? Why do I just keep doing this thing? And we say, Holy Spirit, come speak to me, show me put men around me that can speak to me and help me find these blind spots in my own life. Marcos, I know you've gone through this. It's ugly, isn't it? It's a ugly, ugly, painful process. I think your internet connection's lagging there. Yeah,
2: it is, sorry, outside of this coffee shop, so. Can you guys hear me okay, by the way? yeah yeah
0: you're kind of breaking in and out but we'll give it a shot go ahead awesome please. so expand
2: on the uh what do you want me to expand on that question because you're cutting well
0: yeah it was more of just a point um you know it's just this is one of the hardest things for a guy to do it's this deep spiritual intellectual um, emotional journey that someone has to go on and they're looking for answers that they don't know where to find and it's confusing at times. It's frustrating. It really is. It's like the Mount Everest of the soul to climb this thing. And a lot of men die on the slopes of of this Everest. Um, and it's, they're, they're so close to the summit. I feel like they're so close and they walk away and they just say, "No, that's me. That's the cards I was dealt in life. That's who I am. And they just walk into that identity. And that's, you know, for a lot of folks out there, that's what's happening. They're coming out of the closet. They're embracing this identity um, a lot of times because the church hasn't presented a solution to it. And we just say, hey, man, you got to try harder. You need to pray more, and we're going to go on a fast together, and we're going to do... No, you need to get some in-depth discipleship and walk through um, some, some deep sanctified uh spiritual meat that you need to feed on so it, it's ugly it's an ugly ugly yeah. process but the other end of it i'm looking at you guys <laughs> this is what it looks like free free Incredible, yeah. and, and, absolutely yeah. and incredible it's, and
2: it's a lifelong journey too i mean most men don't realize or anyone in general that you you get hurt in community so you need to get healed in community you know uh and a big Part of walking out freedom is learning how to be vulnerable and transparent, which is one of the hardest things for anyone to do. Uh, uh, when deep down inside, what we really is acceptance, is love. And so uh, ways to achieve that is through communication, through transparency, through vulnerability, and through acceptance and and being loved in that process. And so until that happens, a person will continue to self-isolate, continue to buy into the lies, continue to spiral further into their addiction um, until they break free of those beliefs. And it only can happen through community and through being, through operating and living in the light.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's open it up for a few questions. We got some time left. Um, Lamar, you see anything in there that you're to
1: interested yeah. Here, here's a great one here, Jeremy. And since we have a couple of uh, men of the cloth with us, um, I'd love to get their perspective first. And then, and then I'd, I'd love to jump in here with Marcos and you as well, um, because I want to hear a theological and then, um, you know, what happened real world applicable answer. So uh, when God heals us, do we come to a place where we don't even feel like sinning or is it a war till the end? It's a great question.
0: That's a great question. When I, went through my own journey. I stopped sinning altogether. It was incredible. Like <laughs> joke <joking> with you. <laughs> no, you never get there. You never get there, man. Yeah, Sanctification so- ends when you're standing right beside Jesus at the end of the road. Yeah. And then you're totally purified. Um, we're dealing with the flesh nature, right? Chats, I mean- you want to add something to that? Yeah. Sure, I mean,
3: and like I said before, the adversary knows, you know, our arousal template. He puts that stuff in front of us, so I think it might get a, it gets easier because you know what buttons he's trying to push. Yeah. And so you're able to accomplish that and, and detox from it too. So yeah. I think it's always going to be there because I got this stuff on me. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's the flesh. Um, but with the Holy Spirit and not fighting alone, there is victory.
0: That's exactly right. Now I'll tell you on the other side of it. You know, if, you're, if you've gravitated, you've been addicted to, to sexual sin for decades, you can actually get to a place where you now find it detestable. And that's really hard to believe if you're in the middle of it. But just the idea of that, because you used to connect pleasure to it. And over time, if you follow a process, you can connect pain to it. You can start to realize, hey, when I do that that this is what happens in my life this is how it makes me feel I start to feel these sh- feelings of shame and guilt um I I become very quick tempered and react harshly to those around me and so you're likely oblivious to those side effects right now but if you work with some men to help you recognize that every time you relapse then you'll start to see that it's actually doing a lot of damage in your life and then when that light switches on you say, oh, man, this thing is painful. I don't want to drink that poison because it hurts me.
3: I liked what Pastor Ted said or, or Dr. Ted, which way is your sword pointing? You know, yeah. and if I'm attacking or trying to protect myself and my sin, it's the wrong direction. And so now we got people covering our backs. We're fighting back to back. You know, we're honoring our wives. We're defending them. We're he- helping them heal rather than defending ourselves and, and uh, continuing to sin.
0: Absolutely, Mari. Got another question?
1: You know, as I look at all these these uh, these statements and these questions here, um, I just realize you know, how all the men here are very very similar. We're probably nine ninety five percent similar. Everybody has their unique piece to this, um, but I, I just see folks that are. Are, are struggling from a personal standpoint uh i've got an older gentleman here when i say older i'm talking about the last half of life now whatever somebody wants to you know think about that, that, that that's fine um, but he says he's single it's hard for him to to follow all this it's hard for him to hear some of this um, you know he's x years old but we'll just say back half of his life you know why is that so difficult for him to hear um, and it's just a, it's more of a question for both for you for Chaps for for Pastor Daniel on this one, uh, Marcus. You know if you have some wisdom, because um, I know you're I know you just became what 14 or 15 years old. Sorry, man, it had to be done. So, <laughs> I think we
4: just left. We just lost. What Marcus. do you mean, uh, Lamar? What do, what what do you mean by why is it so hard for him to hear? No, he just mentioned that he, he's you know, he know he's he's
1: in his 50s and he's he's still single, and this is really difficult for him and. I come across this sometimes and leading mm-hmm. a few groups. You, you come across some single guys that are just like, wow, it's, it's, I, I can't imagine, um, me naturally. I just think, man, what a wonderful opportunity for you to get this piece of your life, you know, surrendered over to Christ before you meet the woman that he has designed for you. Yeah. If that even happens. And if it doesn't happen, are you prepared to know that Christ is enough? Um, coming from, Paul, go ahead.
4: Coming from from my experience in this, uh, in 2009 I made a decision to stop dating, stop uh stop doing things. Uh I wanted to be a um, celibate in 2011 I became uh abstinent, right? And uh and so forth. And that was a struggle in itself. What helped me was of course my physical uh thing with the low test, right? So that was great in that aspect. However, for years I had an issue with being alone. Because I was, you know, as years passed by, I may be growing closer to the Lord, but years are passing by and it's still me and three or four dogs in the house, like dogs that, that I had. And I'd come home and they were my people and that was it. And so uh, over the years, I started to, and again, speaking for myself, not anybody else, I started to find this comfort in just being with Holy Spirit and spending time with knowing God is Father and then Daddy. Right, because that was my goal. Right, and it came to a point when folks would ask me, "Aren't you lonely?" I'm like, "Lonely? I got Holy Spirit. I got the Lord. Uh, my Father gives me these things on a daily basis, and I only have two bathrooms. Like the house is crowded." And now it's right, right. I have, I'm, I'm like, "Are you crazy? <laughs> like I'm busy." Right, and I found this uh, solace, and when I least expected it, in 2020. I proposed to somebody that I knew at that point for seven years, and I remember saying to somebody else, um, they said, you know, the two of you make a cute couple. I said, ew, I would never, right? And that's the person that, that I proposed to. But my point is, for me, that it took time for me to realize that, you know what, I don't want the relationship with somebody else until I'm first married to the Lord. That was my take. And what I teach to my groups is, you know, for uh, women, you first need to be a wife to Christ, you know, so that you know what it's like to be a wife and to, you know, and to see what a husband is. And then to men, I say, listen, you first need to, A, know what it's like to be a bride. Be a bride to Christ and see how he treats you, see how he forgives you, see how he loves you and respects you. And that's your template But doing that to his daughter, who you're going to marry, right? Because when I pray for my wife, or if she came home safely from a trip, I say, Lord, I thank you so much for bringing home your daughter, who coincidentally is also my wife. And I want to, because I want to always remember, that's his daughter that he died on the cross for. So in the whole, uh, to go back to your question, I had to learn to be okay being by myself. And not really by myself, but being with the new me that he's transformed. Because being married can be a uh, a distraction. No offense, because I'm married. However, I know for a fact, if I was married when he called me to ministry, I'd never be where I'm at now. It would have been impossible because it took years of being just him and me for me to get to where I'm at. So that now that I got this healing, I can move forward more, more maturely. And my wife, you know, when we got married... She assumed, because we we had been friends for seven years, she assumed she already knew what I was like. She already knew how I would treat her, right? After, like, three months in, she says to me, I've never seen you. So loving. So you're so different. And I said, well, sweetie, that's wifey privileges that nobody was going to get until... They put a ring on my finger. <laughs> right? But, but right, that belongs because that's how the Lord has treated me. And this is only for my wife. And so uh, you know, he's 50. I just got married last year at 50. I get it. Mm. And no, it's I think it's it's halfway through the life because I'm planning to hit one uh 20. So I got more years ahead of me. <laughs> but my point is, but my hey, hey, you I'm calling it, it as as that's he right. tells me, right? But uh listen, listen. Guys, my template to trigger me was an older female uh, of a certain style, uh, taste, right? Of a of a a certain look, right? That was my uh, trigger. I hate it extremely. Younger females uh, and and so forth. My wife is my junior uh, by uh, twenty years, right? Uh, Twenty years. I'm fifty three. She's thirty three. And, uh, and it's, uh, you know, I can't even like the Lord just, uh, th- th- this is just amazing. And one of the things that I uh, looked at in, in, and when we got married was that she wanted to serve the Lord and she fasted and prayed before she had agreed to bury me. And, uh, and I love that. And again, I was waiting this whole time, but by the time I got married, I was not lonely. I was so happy with, being just with the Lord, that I said, Lord, are you sure? Because do I have to get my-? Like, I wanted to, but I knew that it would cut into my time with him. And I love being so much with him. And what attracted me to her was over the years, I saw how she grew in him. And when she would spend time with him and worship in the middle of the day, and when she, she would just pull aside and say, you know, I can't right now because I have to spend time with my father. I found that so attractive. That yeah. that's what changed. That was my paradigm shift, Lamar. So,
0: in this question that you brought up, um, he said that he's having a hard time with this because it's he's single and he's. You say he's fifty or forty-nine years old, fifty years and, old.
1: Yeah, you know, the gentleman's in his fifties. I, th- I think he was just saying that he's having a hard time, maybe with the overall concept, the overall conversation. Yeah. And, and I, I'm Pastor not sure Daniel
0: Air is a perfect example.
1: Yeah. He didn't really specify. And I mean, and as I look at some of the chats, you know, you see things like, hey, should I be praying for a wife? Um, Hey, absolutely. Pray that God will send you a woman okay, that that can help you along your sanctification path, no doubt. But more than anything, pray that you can be the one for somebody. I mean, you're not looking for that for that that cookie cutter model of perfection. You're looking for what God sends to you. And out of obedience, you know, you sanctify each other.
3: Yeah, God looked at Adam and said, oh, this fella's not going to make it.
4: And he Eve, you know, to help him with those decisions. Um, Guys, one thing, you know, I have a lot of young men that come to me and say, you know, uh, what's the best place? You know, I've had folks tell me, like Scott, I'm sure you've heard this, a young man or any man could say, I'm going to church to find a wife, right? What's the best place to find a wife? at church, and that's not where we find a wife. That's where we come to find Christ and get filled up and build relationship with Christ. And I normally tell young men or older men, I say, look, here's my question. You're not married, right? They go, right. Do you have kids? Some say yes, some say no. I say, listen, imagine if you had a daughter. She's your daughter, Scott. What kind of guy would you want her to marry, right? Right, right. Right, right. So what kind of guy would you want her? So then they say, well, I want her to marry me, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, great. Would God want any less? Say, well, no. I said, okay, are you that guy? See, that's my question. Are you the guy that if, she, that if you could step out of your life and she brought you home to another dad that you would co-sign that you're the perfect guy? And if they go, no, I'm not. I'm like, well, brother, maybe you need to work on building relationship with Christ first before we go out looking for a wife, not that it's wrong. It's just, you know, that's why in the world, 50% of marriages end up in divorce and lately in the church is one out out of two. So go figure, right? It's like the same thing because they get married for the wrong reasons. Hmm. Well, I
0: would also add this to it. You know, if, if you're in the midst of an addiction and you're struggling with pornography or masturbation or acting out in, in any sexual way it is going to be exponentially worse when you get married it's going to be a lot worse your prop you the the anxiety the stress the tension that you feel now will be elevated tenfold and it's really because at the core of this addiction it's an intimacy issue it's an intimacy disorder and now you have a wife who's wanting, wanting to be intimate with you. In other words, they're wanting to look into this place in your, in your soul that's ugly and deformed, and you wanna keep them back. And that's really where true intimacy, intimacy is at. And so you don't wanna drag this. You know, it, it, of course, you know, I'm praying for you, brother, that God leads you to the right woman, but more so I'm praying that God leads you to freedom And get together with some other men and walk through this freedom. And, you know, it's the best thing for you because you don't want to drag that into a marriage. It's going to be horrendous. And now you've got a a traumatized wife who, if she finds out, she's going to be a wreck. And now you've got collateral damage and you're going to weaponize her. When you weaponize her, man, watch out. And so God designed marriage to grow us up. And he, he designed it so that we deal with this selfishness in our lives. And so if you're going into marriage and you've got extreme selfishness in the form of, a, of sexual sin, whew, it's going to be painful. It's going to be really painful. Amen. All right. You want to do one last question, Lamar?
1: Well, I've got I've got a long winded one that's going to probably require the next session or some session in the future. Uh, a gentleman asked, but, you know, what does it look like after a bad relapse? So we're going to let that one kind of simmer for a long time. So I've got lots of thoughts on that. I know Marcos has lots of thoughts on that. <laughs> I mean, um, and so I'm very excited to, to get into that in the future. Yep. Uh, but here, Here's a, a great one just came through. Um, how do I de-weaponize my wife?
2: Mm.
1: And, and wow, powerful. Um, I, so I, I'd love to go first on this. I'll be very quick and hopefully a little bit funny. Um, my wife is incredible. Uh, I am at complete, I guess I, I, I'm at an extreme disadvantage when I walk off of You know the boat, so to speak, with my wife. She is light years ahead of me in education. Um, She's incredibly bright, and she just she knows the gospel better than pretty much anybody that I know. Sorry, Pastor, you know, Pastor Daniel. Sorry, chaps, but my wife is (laughs) she's a heavyweight. And so, when it comes to that stuff, um, beautiful woman of God. And so, when she is weaponized and she is triggered, the best hope that I have. Is to say, listen, I do not understand why you feel this way right now. But I love you and you would not be this way had I not done what I did. And, and, and if I can do that sincerely, that's right. Sometimes it comes off as kind of flippant. Let's just be honest. You know, sometimes you can overuse that and you can say, This is my get out of jail free card. If you don't mean it, she'll see right through that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but if, if you can do that sincerely and, and and mean it and then try to meet her where she is and not use logic when she's being emotional please men <laughs> um, yeah. that, that's that's just my cut on it i'd, I'd love to hear from another, another i know we're running a little bit late here but
0: go yeah ahead. i think one of the worst things you can do is immediately go into the defense and it's typically the posture that most men take including myself And i've gotten a lot better at it don't go on defense but try to find if you can't at least try to find the reason for why she feels the way she does and validate that say sweetheart look I see that you're upset. I can see why you're acting the way you are and you're responding the way you are. And you've got every right to, look what I've done. I would feel the same way. And so when she starts to feel that validation, it puts the guard down. She's now like, oh yeah, okay, so maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe this feeling that I have has some validity to it. And from there, you can start to go in a conversation of, exactly what's going on but don't go on defense and I tell you another thing is your own personal healing is the best medicine for your (laughs) wife. if you want to help her heal start to work on yourself and let the Holy Spirit work in you chaps
3: yeah that's an amen you know the there's a quote from C.S. Lewis anger is the fluid that love bleeds when cut And so your wife is angry because she loves you and she wants that, that relationship to be pure, you know? And so exactly, Jeremy, we start taking care of ourselves. We get healthier and healthier and healthier. She's going to see that, you know, the guys is more of a stair step, you know, but the, the woman's is a, an arc. Um, she'll catch up, you know, and and God is good. I mean, nobody's ever died of, uh, well, I shouldn't say blue balls or, um, No one's ever died of not having sex. I I just want all the guys to know that. And there's gonna be a period of time for healing and abstinence. And you just chew on that head post, you know, in bed, uh, but God's gonna reward and bless you in the long run. Stay sober. He said blue
4: balls. um, Yeah, he did. (laughs) Uh, Jeremy, um, I wanted to share real quick, a guy by the name of Stefan Covey once said, seek first to understand than to be understood. But I like to slash that in half. When you're speaking to your wife, especially if she's been hurt, whether it's true or not, you know, cause right, seek first to understand period, right? I don't care. I ask my wife, you know, what is it? What happened? What did I do? What went wrong? And then I just shut up and listen, right? And I listen, and I'm present, I'm there. It doesn't matter, you know, and, and I shut the voices in my head. There may be a voice that says, That's not the, I'm like, shh, right? Because I'm listening to my wife and I wanna know what she's going through. And 90% of the times, just by listening, the tone goes down, goes down. Before I know it, she's just speaking. And then she says at times, thank you for listening. no, honey, it's my uh, pleasure. Is there something you'd like me to do about this? She goes, no, okay, fine. As it's over with, right? And that's a thing I learned because if I'm trying to wait to speak, then she can pick up on that. And it's like, I don't care. That's my two cents.
0: Marcos, I am going to ask you to say something, but it looks like you're driving.
2: No, no, I'm parked. Uh, I just came here because my my internet connection chopped off over at the coffee shop. So I came here, I'm on my phone now. No problem. Uh, I hope you guys can see and hear me better now. Uh, So sorry about that. But great discussion, great answers, guys. I would just add, you know, in addition to everything that's already been said, You know, the focus needs to be on them, not on yourself. You know, don't try to excuse away what you did or, again, go on defense mode. But like my brother said, seek to understand and then listen to understand. Don't listen to respond and then try to justify your action or try to explain things away. Um, But affirm them, you know, validate them and even repeat back to them what they have said to confirm that. Is it do I hear you correctly? Do I understand you correctly in what you're saying? And repeat their words back to them, and they'll let you know real quick. No, that's not what I'm saying. Or, or yeah, actually it is. You know, and then you know, move towards uh, a compromise or you know how to address it together. Um, also, maybe if you guys are both overly emotional, uh, to agree together, to maybe take time apart. You know, to kind of walk away. You know, breathe, process, and maybe set up a time. You know, to come back together and have that discussion um and don't don't you know keep postponing that see to address it as soon as possible you know and then of course take ownership for what you've done and affirm them and support them and also be patient because it, it is a process and it takes time especially you know again to uh heal the wound to rebuild the trust um and and be patient be kind watch your tone and these are all maybe difficult things for us guys but these are very important cues that the women look at you know uh, to, to understand and know that you understand the impact and and the effect that your actions have had and and, and how to move forward in the right direction towards healing. You can come so, out
0: here. You just can't
1: come around the screen.
0: That's right. Awesome, man. Wise Words. Um, a great book you might want to read is Helping Her Heal by Dr. Doug Weiss. Dr. Doug was the host of the Warpath series that we have on Soul Refiner. And he's got We've got 29 episodes in that, and I think probably a couple hours of, of of video content that helps men disarm their lives, to help them put down the weapons that we gave them to assault us, uh, rightfully so. So we're going to head out. We've got this meeting again next month. We may end up bumping these things up every two weeks. It just seems like a month is a long time, doesn't it? It is. Yeah. So, Lamar, why don't you end this in this in a prayer, if
1: you could? God, thank you for these men, Lord. Um, thank you for these men that, that will come together, that will basically just open the kimonos and say, "I want to be transparent. I want to be vulnerable. I want to be seen. I want somebody to truly know me." Um, and Lord, as we as we go through this, and, and we continue down this path of healing, we we look to you, and that's the great surrender. You know, we often say like, we well, you got to work smarter, not harder. And the working smarter is surrendering it over to you and understanding that we do not have this in any way, fashion, form, or manner, and that we desperately need you to intervene on our behalf. And so God, we, we, we maintain that surrender now. It's easy right now coming out of a group like this. Everybody feels very full of recovery, full of themselves, you know, full of man. what you've done for us, Lord. But what are we going to be like come Tuesday? Are we going to be able to surrender come Tuesday? And that's what we're really praying for, Lord, is that continued nonstop surrender. That's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Awesome.
0: All right. God bless you guys. Thank you for everyone who tuned in to our little webisode here on Zoom. <laughs> and we will see you all next week. Love you all. Take it easy, see you guys. All right.